Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Again, everyone, it is good to have you with us today. Maybe you're just joining us. I want to take a moment and introduce myself again. My name is Rhett. It is the honor of my life to get to be the lead pastor here and to serve you along with your incredible families here in the Nampa Caldwell, beautiful Treasure Valley that we get to call home. How many of you are thankful to call Idaho home, everybody? I mean, come on. Isn't this the greatest time to be alive right now in this state? Woo! I'm telling you, I'm loving the weather. In fact, my wife gave me permission to wear my uh, hoodie today. Is that okay? So, uh... I'm like, thank you, Jesus. My wife's like, you ought to wear that hoodie. I was like, I, can I really do that in church? Is that cool? She's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So if this offends you, I'm just saying, uh, hey, we are, we're keeping it real here. Um, we are in a series we're calling Asking for a Friend. And hey, before we jump into that, I want to do something we do every single Sunday. And my friends, we have people joining us online as far as Alaska to Florida, all across the country. It's really cool uh, what technology has allowed us to do. And uh, I want us all to put our hands together and welcome our online church family right now. Come on, at Pacific Center, show some love to your family. Yeah, we love you. You are our family, and we're just so glad that you, however you found us, are along for the ride. And we want you to know this from the bottom of our heart. Uh, we're here for you. Um, and you may be asking, well, how can we do that distant? Well, we're here to pray for you. We're here to try to do everything we can to serve you. A lot of you have been sending us in prayer requests online. You've been filling out the online connection card to let us know. And by the way, you can just click the button there that says online connection card. And just let us know how we can pray for you. And we've just been praying for you. Amen. Isn't that right? It's more fun in the room. Uh, <laughs> but we want you to know we, we love you. And it is a lot of fun to have you. It really is an honor. So, all right, you guys, we want to jump right into this. And as we do, I just want to remind you all, we are a message note-taking church. Simply means we love to take notes here at One Life Church. I want to inspire you. I want to encourage you. But I also want to put some tools in your hand so you can live this thing out Monday through Saturday. Uh, you can go to olc.church. If you're in the room, swipe down. You'll see a big button that says message notes. I want to encourage you to click that. If you're online, you can see the notes right there under your screen, or you can even hit the button there. So, all right. Well, you guys, we, uh, I asked you a question back around Easter and I asked you, I said, hey, if there were any topics, if there were any ideas or anything that you would like me to answer, I'd love for you to fill this out on a survey card. And many of you did that. In fact, the reason I asked you at Easter was because at Easter, you all tend to show up, all 342 of you on Easter. And so, because here, here's what I've discovered. The best way that I can honestly try to pastor you and be a friend to you is to answer questions that you're actually asking. And so you asked a question, you said, what does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about depression? And come to find out, the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, last week we got started on the topic, and I realized as I started diving into it, there was so much more to bring you than just one message. And so we kind of got dabbled in it last week. We started into the message last week, and I was giving you kind of according to the Word of God of how how we get into depression. And today I got some good news for you. We're going to be talking about how we get out of it. Amen. And so I just want to start off again by saying I'm not an expert. Okay. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. 
I'm simply a pastor. What does that mean? It means I love God and I love you. And my role in all of this is to simply bring you God's word on the topic. And so what I've discovered, in fact, in my opinion, and if you've done any research or lived longer than two years old, you would probably look around and realize that we're really dealing with an epidemic when it comes to the topic of mental health and depression. In fact, I believe, my opinion, that the number one health problem we're all dealing with worldwide, not just in America, is the topic of depression. In fact, when we looked at some stats, they were really staggering. I'll remind you of those today. Over one million people worldwide commit suicide every year, worldwide, due to depression. Over 40,000 of those are in the U.S. alone. The number one killer in the U.S. for kids from 15 to 24 is suicide. Why? Because of mental health and depression. That comes down to one death every 40 seconds, which means by the time we end this service today, there will be over 60 people who have decided to end their life due to mental illness and depression. So this is an epidemic. This is something that we as a church should be talking about more because it's not just the world's problem. It's not just for us to look to the world to come up with solutions. It's time for the church to rise up and to be the church and to help bring some answers. Can I get a good amen, everyone? Now, before I brighten your day today on the topic of depression, I just want to remind you what God's word says about you. Because the truth is, my friend, the enemy, the devil, he is the thief that wants to come, steal, kill, and destroy from your life. But Jesus Christ wants to bring you life and give you life more abundantly. You today, as you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son and a daughter of the living God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And no weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because greater is he who lives within you and me than he that's within the world. Amen. So I just simply want to remind you today, but even though we're reminded, the truth is that even some of the best of us, we still struggle. In fact, last week I shared a little bit of my story and I shared with you how my mom's suicide when I was seven impacted me and still impacts me today. And and because of some of the abandonment issues I experienced, I've dealt personally with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and a lot of things that I've been working through even 28 years of serving the Lord. And what I showed you last week, not only from my story, but what I showed you as well as we looked at a briefly in a glimpse of a man by the name of Jeremiah, who not only wrote the book of Jeremiah, but he wrote an entire book of the Bible dedicated to depression. It's a book called Lamentations. And in that book, you can basically just solve it up with this one statement. He basically said, I have forgotten what prosperity looks like. The more that I remember this bitterness and the gall and the trouble and the sorrow, the more that I remember it, he said, my soul is downcast within me, which is a biblical way of saying, I am depressed. And we also looked at the Apostle Paul. Who's the Apostle Paul? Well, he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. He was a church planner. And even we saw a glimpse of Paul's life. As amazing as he was, as planning all these churches around the world, he said, hey, my friends, I don't want you. I don't want you to think that my life has been perfect. In fact, he said, we've experienced so much trouble in the province of Asia that I, he said, I despaired of even life itself. So Paul even hit a moment of depression where he himself even thought that maybe it would be better if he ended his life. But the main person we talked about last week that we kind of dove into is we started to study a man by the name of Elijah. 
Now, Elijah was known as probably one of the greatest prophets in the entire Bible. Now, we think and we know, honestly, that he was one of the greatest because the brother got a one-way ticket to heaven on a chariot of fire, everybody. The brother didn't die or experience death. God just took him, said, hey, come on on this fiery chariot ride up to heaven. It's amazing. Blows my mind. And in fact, we even know that Jesus, or at least heaven, somewhat elevates the man because at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, uh, alongside the disciples, three of them, in the New Testament, we see Jesus showing himself in his glorified body along sitting there with Moses and Elijah. So the Bible has a lot to say about this man, and I don't need you to understand that he was just a man, just like you and I. He was just a human But even in his humanity, God blessed him, but even in his humanity, he still experienced bouts of depression. And what we learned last week is that this is what I need you to notice. Elijah's depression that came in and set in his life didn't happen in a low moment of his life. Like he experienced one of the highest of highs and one of the greatest spiritual victories. But yet it was right after that moment that he went into a season of depression. In fact, I just to recap 1 Kings chapter 18, and we didn't have time to read all of it, but if you're an extra note taker, write that down today. In 1 Kings 18, two major victories we see Elijah face. He goes against 850 false prophets in what I call like this battle of God and like the false God of Baal. And so all the false prophets of Baal, they all come together and they're trying to call down fire from heaven to light a sacrifice. And it goes on all day and ain't nothing happening, y'all. And what happens, Elijah's like, hey, where is your God? You know, you can read about it. even says, maybe your God's on a restroom break. Like Elijah said that in the Bible. And they're like, well, we don't have nothing else. Go ahead and pray to your God. And what's amazing is (laughs) Elijah not only prays to God, but he says, okay, since what you're about to experience is going to be amazing, why don't you go ahead and just douse thousands of gallons of water on top of this? Just so I'm just going to brag on my God a little bit. And so he prays, fire from heaven comes down, consumes the sacrifice in a moment, and licks up all the other water that doused the sacrifice. It was an amazing moment for God. And then all the prophets end up dying because Elijah puts them to the sword, and it's a great victory. And then immediately following that, you can read about in 1 Kings 18, there was a three-year drought that was happening. And so what does Elijah do? Elijah's like, God, I'm praying for rain. Guess what happened? Rain fell, ended a three-year drought. Now you would think... That after such a great victory, two of them, back to back, you would think that Elijah would be all partying. you think that he would honestly be all celebrating. But that's not exactly what happened. No, what we see is that in the moments after his greatest victory, he ends up in his moments of greatest depression. Now, why is that? Well, it's because he's tired, he's worn out, he's physically, emotionally, and at this point, spiritually kind of bankrupt. He is just, he's exhausted. He is depleted. And because of his depletion and his spirit and his soul and just everything that he just experienced, there was a woman by the name of Jezebel. She was actually the queen. She sent a threat to Elijah. And it would be equivalent, you guys, to us receiving a comment on Facebook or on Instagram. And so Elijah basically got this comment on his page and said, hey, because of what you did to my prophets, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And it freaked Elijah out. And we read last week that he began to be afraid. He ran for his life. And he eventually ended up in a very dark place to where he said, God, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
So this is what we discovered last week. Now, before we continue, I just want to simply remind you again that, my friends, genetics and biology do play a part in depression. It's proven scientifically. It does. But if we allow biology and genetics to have the whole narrative on the topic of depression, then we're going to miss out on some very real solutions that God gives us through his word. And what we learned last week is that Elijah... He wasn't dealing with some kind of biological or genetic thing happening in his mind. He actually made some choices that put him into darkness. And just to recap, it was his emotions. He began to begin to fall into his own emotions. He began to get afraid. And then as he fell into his own emotions, he isolated himself from his servant. He went to a place he was never supposed to be alone and he isolated himself in his thoughts. He began to ruminate on those thoughts. And then that led to comparison, which eventually led him to going, I'm out. And so today I've got some good news for you. So as I mentioned, last week we talked, what were the things that led him in? Because it's important to recognize those things. But today we're going to talk about stepping out of the darkness. You guys ready for this? All right, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5 through 8, if you have your Bible or if you're following along with your notes. It says, then, talking about Elijah, he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Now, all at once, an angel touched him and said, Elijah, get up and eat. Now, time out for a moment. Let's stop right there. Some of you are like, man, this is a word for the Lord for my life today. Praise the Lord. Pastor, are you going to be talking about get up and eating? Yes, I am. It's going to be good. It's good news. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, Elijah looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. And I'm going to just speak from Pastor Rhett. In my mind, also what's happening here is not only is there baked bread, but there is some Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter along with it. Come on, somebody. For all you Atkins people, here's a word from the Lord for your carbs. You need carbs. Come on, somebody. He looked around. There was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And look at this. He ate and he drank. And then, oh my goodness, what did he do? Did he go out and change the world? No. What did he do? He he laid down again. Some of you are like, man, I found my life verse. I am glad I came to church today. (laughs) Pastor's talking about going to sleep. So am I eating, drinking, and resting? Yes, we are. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, hey, I need you to eat some more and drink some more for the journey. The journey's too much for you. So it goes on to say he got up and he ate until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, which, by the way, is modern-day Mount Sinai. This is, would be the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments and met with God himself. Now, what I need you to understand, or what I really want to show you here in this first part of Elijah beginning to take steps out of the darkness, is that when the angel came to him, notice what the angel did. The angel did not meet his spiritual needs first. He began to minister to his physical needs. And so what we see is that God's first prescription in his word to Elijah for helping him step out of darkness, stepping out of depression is this. Number one, and this is a word for you and I today, is that, guys, write this down. We need to slow down, we need to rest well, and we need to eat well. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to breathe in. We need to breathe out. We need to go home. We need to eat well. We need to take a nap. Now we need to wake back up again. 
When you put those cookies in the oven, come on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we need to eat, we need to drink, and then we need to what? We need to take another nap. And then we wake up from that, guess what? We need to go outside. We need to get soak up some of that vitamin D while we still can, everybody. All right? We need to get outside. Here's what I need you to understand. If you're ever going to be healed and coming out of the darkness, my friends, a part of the process, a part of the healing is your physical health. It's your physical health. And this isn't just something God's word teaches. In fact, Christian and non-Christian psychologists will tell you this. In fact, there was a gentleman by the name of Doctor. He's a doctor. His name is Stephen Alardi. I love this quote from a book called The Depression Cure. Cure. Look at this. He says, guys, you and I, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzy pace of modern life. And this is all of us. We're sedentary. We're indoor. We're isolated. We're eating fast food and we're sleep deprived. This pace of frenzied life, it's sucking the life out of us. It's not adding any more value to us. And some of you are going, well, Pastor Red, I mean, if I just work a little bit more, get a little bit more money in the bank account, my life would be better. And if that's you today, I would just say, how's that working out for you? Because you can have money in the bank and still be physically, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt. At the end of the day, is it really worth it? Look at what Solomon says in Psalm 127, verse 2. Solomon says, guys, it is useless for you and I to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously worrying and working for food to eat. And by the way, time out, I just need you to understand one thing. Solomon is not saying, hey, don't work. (laughs) That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, just don't make work your God. Why? Because if you make work your God, it's going to end up being a depletion of your soul and a depletion of your family. You will be emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. But what is he saying? He said, I need you to make God your God. Because if you'll make God your God and put your trust in him, not only will he provide, check this out, look at the rest of the verse, but he also will give you rest. He'll give you peace. He'll give you rest to his loved ones. God gives rest to those who slow down, eat well, and rest well. God gives rest to those who prioritize their life. So, Pastor, why is all of this important? Check this out. Because if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but everybody's got an agenda for your life and for your family. Your boss has got an agenda for your life. Credit card's got an agenda for your life. Your in-laws, ooh, I'm just stepping on toe, got an agenda for your life. (laughs) Culture's got an agenda for your life. Store's got an agenda for your life. And many of us, we're tired and we're worn out. We're lacking peace. Why? Because we're trying to live a life that everybody else wants us to live for them. And we're not living the life God intended for us to live. Simply want to remind you, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says, Guys, better is one handful with tranquility. Better is one handful with peace than trying to live a two-handful life, living a life with stress, living a life with anxiety and toil and chasing after what Scripture says is like trying to grasp the wind. You'll never obtain it. 
So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Psalm 90 verse 12. This is my encouragement. This is what Moses said. God, teach us to number our days. God, help us to take inventory of our own lives and recognize how few they are. Help us. What's he saying? He said, help us. Help me to do what really matters most and to spend my life as I honestly should. Well, Pastor Rat, how do we do that? Like, what does it look like? I'm glad you asked. If you're following in your notes, you already see the answer. Guys, I need you to Sabbath well. I need you to Sabbath well. This is what I want to encourage you to do. What is a Sabbath? Well, that's just a fancy biblical word that God uses. And this is what it means. It means to cease, to stop, and to have a period of rest in your life. We need to start having a Sabbath. And some of you are like, well, Pastor Red, I mean, I just took a vacation this year. Guys, I'm not talking about taking a vacation. Because how many of you know when you take a vacation and you come back, all of a sudden you need a vacation from your vacation? Come on, right? I'm talking about taking one day a week, every week, and ceasing, stopping, and resting from whatever it is that you do that produces. Now, I'm not just saying sit up in bed all day and that's it. Now, if you need that, go for that. But I'm just saying whatever you do to produce wealth for your family and your finances, that is what you need to cease and to stop and to find rest from. So I just want to encourage you, find a day, find a day. And by the way, this is important. This is so important. Did you know that the first thing God did after he, quote unquote, worked after all of creation, the process, what he did? My friends, he rested. Now, why did he rest? Was it because God needed rest? No, it was simply because God was trying to demonstrate to us what it is that you and I need. God will always demonstrate through scripture what it is he expects from us. And it always is for our blessing and our benefit. Look at this, Genesis chapter two, verse two through two through three. It says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So what did he do? He rested from all his work. And notice what he did. And God blessed the day. He blessed the day of rest. He blessed the Sabbath on the seventh day. And he declared it holy. This word holy simply means he set it apart. He consecrated it. He wanted it to be honored and respected. This is what he did. And because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, I don't want you to get legalistic on me. It doesn't matter what day it is. Because all of our work schedules look different. But I want to encourage you, whatever day you is the day that you can find, you need to take it. Mine is on Monday. My day is Monday. And by the way, in Scripture, I can't find a two-day weekend anywhere in Scripture, by the way. That is an American culture thing, which I love, by the way. It's great. But it's really not anywhere biblically based. Okay, Six days we work. Seventh day we rest. Find a day. Slow down. Come on, y'all. I mean, what a great day at church. Pastor, I'm sitting here giving you like good news. I want you to slow down. I want you to go home today. I want you to eat well. I want you to take a nap. And then I want you to wake up again and eat well. And all the men are like, hallelujah, this is a great day. And I want you to take another nap and get some rest. Amen. I'm trying to give you a biblical, I'm trying to show you the journey that God takes Elijah on stepping out of the darkness. And it's not only biblical, but again, 
Christians, uh, Christian psychologists and non-Christian psychologists will tell you that many of us are experiencing depression because our lives are out of balance. And how do we bring it back into balance? Well, we live out God's word, which is aligning our heart and our life back into what he designed is our bodies, our spirits need rest. It needs rest. The story continues. First Kings chapter 19, verse nine through 10. Look at this. It says there, now it's referring to Mount Sinai. It says there on Mount Sinai in the Mount of God, he went into a cave and Elijah spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. I love this. God simply says, Elijah, what are you doing here, man? Like, why are you out here in the wilderness alone, isolated, depressed? And he replies, I have been very zealous, God. I've been working hard. I've been giving you everything. And this is true for the Lord God Almighty. He goes on to say, the Israelites, like the Israelites, it's their fault I'm depressed. He starts blaming them. They've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. And they put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. This is his response. Now what I want you to notice is this is Elijah was honest and Elijah was authentic and Elijah told God everything that he was feeling. He held nothing back. Now, some of it was nonsense because the truth is we found out later that he wasn't the only one left. There's like over 7,000, God said, that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. So although (laughs) Elijah thought he was the only one, He's sharing this nonsense to God, but I need you to notice God didn't condemn Elijah for his honesty and even his lies. In fact, what we're going to see is because of his authenticity and because of his just being real before God, what happens is God actually meets him in that place. And this is my hope. My hope is that we see today, not only do we need to slow down, eat well, rest well, but a lot of us. We just need to get to the place where we need to pour out our heart to God. That's number two. Write that down if you're taking notes. We've got to pour our heart out to God. I need you to understand something. God can handle your complaining. God can handle your mess. God, he can even handle your lies. And you ready for this? And he'll even listen to it. Look at what David said in Psalm 34, 6. David said this, in my desperation... I prayed, I poured out my heart to God, David said. And look at what happened. And the Lord, what did he do? He listened. And not only did he listen, but look at this. He saved me from all my emotional pain, anguish, and torment. That's what this word means, this trouble means in Hebrew. It's sarah. It simply means God has healed me from depression. That's what he says. Many of you are like, well, come on. I mean, Pastor Ed, that's David. I mean, he was a king. He was anointed by God. He was special. That obviously can't be about me. Well, look at Psalm 34, 17 through 18. He goes on to say, the Lord hears his people. Time out. Whose people? His people. Who's his people? That's you. That's me. That's those who profess faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ. My friends, the Lord hears you. He hears you and he wants to hear you pour out his heart, pour out your heart to him in the deepest, darkest moments of your life. He hears his people. And when you're open, when you're honest, when you're raw, when you're real, and when you're authentic with God, look at the promise. When you call to him for help, he rescues you and me from what? All emotional pain, anguish, and distress. 
This is the promise for pouring out our heart to God when we need him the most. And I love the rest of this verse. It says, the Lord is close to all of those who have lost hope. Brokenhearted, those who are brokenhearted, the literal translation for brokenhearted in the Hebrew means those whose minds and emotions have been injured. The Lord is not only close to those who have lost hope and who have been injured in their mind through depression, but he rescued those whose spirits are crushed. God rescues those who are depressed. What is he saying? He's saying God is close to those who are depressed, and not only is he close, but as they pour out their heart to him, God loves to rescue them. And this is exactly what we begin to see happening in Elijah's life. As he poured his heart out to God, notice God's response. 1 Kings 19, 11. The Lord said, now I want you to go out. In other words, I want you to take a step. I want you to do something. And many of you think, all right, well, here's the part. I got to go out and exhaust my life for God. What do I need to do, God? Look at what God says. I just need you to stand. I need you to stand. I don't need you to do anything special. I just need you to stand. And what I really need you to do is I need you to experience something bigger and more powerful than the depression that you're in your problems that you're experiencing. Look at this. I need you to experience the presence of the Lord. For if you'll just stand, the presence of the Lord is about to walk by. And what we see here is God giving us what I believe is one of the greatest prescriptions for the darkness that we face. And that is his presence. My friends, if you want to come out of darkness, you and I have got to experience the presence of God. We got to experience the presence of God. That's number three, if you'll put that on the screen so everybody can take that down and write that down. Now, I want you to look at the rest of the verse because this is so important. First Kings 19, 11 through 12, look at this. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and they shattered the rocks and you would think God would be all about this wind, right? No, the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, look at this, there was an earthquake. Was the Lord in the earthquake? No, the Lord wasn't in this earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the presence of God in a gentle whisper. Here's the thing about a whisper, everybody. Is that in order to hear it, you have to be close. In order to hear a whisper, you need to be so close in proximity to the person that is speaking in order to hear. So when it comes to experiencing the presence of God, many of us in our human nature, we're looking for the epic, aren't we? Like we're looking around for the dynamic. But the truth is God is in the intimate. God is in the intimate. Why? Because could it be? The reason that God likes to speak in a whisper is because God just wants to be close to you. Could it be that he just wants such an intimate relationship with you that you're so close to him that he doesn't even have to raise his voice, but he just can say, I love you. I'm for you. Have a purpose. I know it's dark, but there's hope. Trust me. I'm going to get you through this. Just continue to talk to me. Brought your heart to me. 
Involve me in your life. I will rescue you. I will see you through this. Guys, the greatest secret to stepping into the light and out of the darkness is worship. It's worship. In fact, let's read Psalm 4610. Psalm 4610 says, guys, I want you to be still, comma. Be still, comma, and know that I am God. As if, as if to say, you'll never know God unless you be still. There is beauty in the stillness of a heart that is worshiping God. So I want to encourage you to help you get out of this darkness. I want to encourage you to worship God. I want to encourage you to be still. I want to encourage you to find rest. I want to encourage you to talk to him. And I encourage you to experience the presence of the Lord. Because listen, my friends, I could have the worst day. Like my attitude could be junk. Y'all, I'm a pastor, and sometimes my attitude is junk. I'm just being real. Don't, don't leave me alone up here. I know you deal with this too, okay? I could have the worst day. But the moment that I step into the presence of God... It's like I can breathe again. The anxiety, the fear, the whatever the worry or the anxious thoughts or whatever the frustration or the anger in the presence of God, it's like a miracle happens. It's like my soul aligns back to really what's more important. And honestly, it's like I'm just reminded and my perspective goes back to realize that my God is so much bigger than my problems. It's what happens in worship. In fact, some of you experienced it today. Some of y'all's attitudes were junk when you walked in here. Just being real. All stressed out about what's happening in life or at work or with the business or whatever it might be. But you walked in and all of a sudden you heard a song. And in that song and in that moment, it was about Jesus. And you just took a moment and all of a sudden it was like, okay, God, what is that? It's the presence of God. Asaph, who was known as the chief worship leader for David, says this, Psalm 73, 16 through 17. He said, when I tried to understand all this, time out, what's all this? If you read before this verse, you'll see what's happening. Asaph is basically looking at the trouble, the pain, the problems caused by the world he's living in. It's a modern day reference to say, when I watched Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, and everything that was happening in the world today, I troubled me deeply. I was anxious. I was fearful. I was distressed. I was depressed. But until I entered the presence of God, when I entered the sanctuary of the Lord, it's like something happened. Something changed. One of the practical ways, I'm all about giving you practical things. How do you live this thing out? The best practical advice I can give you is to find a song or some songs. Find some worship songs. How can you do that? Beautiful new new device that just got created the other day. In fact, Al Gore created. I love Al Gore. It's called the internet. And you can, some of you old people will reference this, right? Y'all, I'm just having fun today, okay? I love, but like Google Worship songs, top 10, intimate worship songs, right? Or go to Apple Music, Google, Spotify, 
Find some songs that minister your spirit. I have a playlist. I have like two or three playlists. I have like the fast upbeat. Woo, let's do this thing, Jesus. But most of the time I don't need that. What I need is like the really slow, intimate, like really calm and just like, not even really with words, but just, just some music. What I want to encourage you is find a song and then just simply do this. Just get alone. Some of you single moms are like, if you only knew how hard it was to find some alone time. I get it. I mean, I, I haven't lived that life, but I understand. You know, what I would encourage you to do is get in your closet. Go to the garage for four minutes. Lock yourself in the car. Your kids will be okay. I'm just saying. Turn on the music. That's bad advice, by the way. Please don't do that. <laughs> if you knew me well enough, we could joke about that. But, like, please don't do that. All right? But, like, just get along. Find a place. I'm trying to add laughter where I can because this is just a heavy topic. But I just need you to find alone. Put your earbuds in and put your head under a pillow for a little bit on the couch, right? I'm just trying to get creative. But turn on a playlist and get alone with God and allow God to speak to your spirit. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus said this, John 4, 23. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. In other words, he's saying, your worship just needs to be honest. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. And it needs to honor and revere his name. Why? Because look at the rest of this verse. I love the message paraphrase, what it says. Because it says, these kind of people, here it is. These kind of worshipers, they get God's attention, everybody. Look at this. This is the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship with earbuds in, with their head under a pillow, on the couch, listen to worship music while the kids are doing their thing. These are the kind of people that gets God's attention that he ministers to. And this is what I want to say. If you're in this room today or watching us online, if you feel like you can't find God, worship him and he'll find you. He'll find you. God seeks out those who worship him. He seeks them out. I hope this is helping someone today. We're asking for a friend. You ask the question, what does the Bible say about depression? We're looking at the life of Elijah. He loved God, yet he dealt with depression. So much so that he wanted to end his life. And we're discovering today that there are real solutions. Now, medicine and doctors, they all play their part and they are important. Hear my heart. But there are also some other real solutions that are within our control that we can do. We got to slow down and rest. We got to eat well. We got to get to the place where we begin to pour out our heart to God in our deepest, darkest moments and be real with God. We got to cultivate the presence of God with worship in our life. But it doesn't end there. Let's look at the rest of the story. First Kings 17 or 19, 15 through 16. The Lord said to him, Now, Elijah, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go back the way you came. Now, time out for a moment. I need you to understand something. The way that he came was through a place called Beersheba. Now, that doesn't really mean much to you on the surface. But Beersheba actually was known as the place of the oath or the place of the commitment. And God says, hey, Elijah, what I need you to do is I need you to go back to the place of your oath. I need you to go back to the place of your commitment to me. And I need you to rediscover your purpose. 
I need you to get back to doing what I've called you to do in the first place. You are a prophet of God and I need you to begin to do what prophets do. You were not called just to sit around and mope out here in the desert by yourself, Elijah. I have a plan and purpose for your life. Get back to work. Go to the desert of Damascus and when you get there, anoint this guy, anoint this guy, and anoint this guy. What is God saying? God's saying, hey, if you want to get out of the darkness, here's number four. You've got to step into God's purpose and direction for your life. You gotta step into God's purpose and direction for your life. Nothing brings more meaning to your life than knowing that God has a plan and a purpose and an assignment for your life. And we see Elijah in this moment going back to what God had called him to do in the first place. And I want to tell you today, my friends in this room, I want to tell you today, online in this room, God has a purpose, a plan, direction, vision, and hope for your life. Ephesians 2.10, in case you have forgotten, my friends, for we, that's you, that's me, those who profess faith in Christ Jesus as their Lord, we are God's masterpiece, and he has created you and me anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What's he saying? He said, hey, God, God basically said, hey, you know what? I got something for you to do, and then he created you to do it. Did y'all catch that? Like, my friends, I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what your auntie said. You are no accident. You were created on purpose, for a purpose, handcrafted as a masterpiece in God's hand. Long before you were even born, he had something for you to do. And then what? He created you and me to fulfill that purpose in this life. He created us to make a difference. And I just want you to understand something. When we get our eyes off of ourself and off of our situation and we get our eyes onto the plan, the purpose, and the vision and others in our life, it is there that we begin to experience what psychologists call transcendence. It's there where we begin to realize that there is more to life than this life and it's just not about me, it's about we. And when I begin to make a difference with my life on purpose, for a purpose, taking my eyes off of me and putting it onto others, I begin to experience fulfillment. I begin to experience life. I begin to experience this breath of fresh air. It's the highest level of living. My friends, if you wake up every day and you think this life is about making more money, paying more taxes, and paying bills, if that's all you think it is, you're going to be depressed. You just will be. There is more to life than this life. In fact, because of that statement, Proverbs 29, 18 makes a lot of sense. I read it last week. I want to read it again. Where there is no vision, where there is no hope, where there is no purpose, where there is no clarity, where you don't know what your next steps are, when you just think you're here paying bills for the rest of your life, and that's what life is all about, you will perish. You'll experience depression. As if to say, if you have vision, if you have life, if you have purpose, if you know what God's plan and assignment is for your life, if you know why you were born, then there, my friends, lies life. Life is in your purpose. The best way that I can pastor you, my friends, is to give you something that is so much bigger than yourself. 
And that is God, but it's also to help you discover vision for your life. This is why we do our Discover class. In which, by the way, today is step one of our Discover class. It happens today, immediately following this service on the first and third Sunday of the month. What is vision all about? It's all about showing you that God has four things for your life. I'm giving you the cliff notes. You ready? God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to help you find freedom. He does that through the process of healing with people involved in your life. I'll show you that in a minute. And then he wants you to discover why you're here. Why? So that you can make a difference with your life. And what is vision all about? It's all about you seeing that this is a spiritual journey that God has for your life. And fulfillment comes, my friend. If you will let me, I will show you today in this class of how the local church being planted and a local life-giving church will help you live out your best life and pour vision into your life so you can live the purpose that God has called you to live. So when it comes to God's vision and purpose for your life, Paul gives us a real-life example of why it's so important. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9. through Look at what he says. He says, we are hard-pressed. Like, we have every reason to be depressed right now. We're hard-pressed on every side. But notice his perspective. I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Goes on to say, verse 16 through 18. So therefore, I don't lose heart. I'm not discouraged. Why? Because notice his perspective. Though outwardly we're wasting away, though I have every reason to look at society and the culture around me, and I have every reason to be depressed, but I'm not because why? Here's the key. Yet inwardly, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. There is a miracle taking place on the inside of my life. How? How? Because Paul says, hey, I got a vision for my life. I got a purpose for my life. There is a hope far beyond this life. There are greater things in store. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, for my light in momentary troubles, like everything that's happening in my life, Paul's saying, is for a greater purpose. And it's achieving for me an eternal glory. He's saying, hey, I'm not living for now. I'm living with eternity in my mind. And it far outweighs everything else I'm going through. So how do we do it? He gives us the answer. So fix Our eyes, not on what is seen. Don't fix your eyes on your problems. Don't fix your eyes on your situation, but fix your eyes on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on the hope that is Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on the purpose and the vision and the plan and the assignment that God has for your life. Since what is seen in front of us is temporary, but what is unseen, my friends, is eternal. When it comes to stepping out of the darkness, it's so important that we step into God's direction and plan and purpose for our lives. So as Elijah began to walk out his purpose, he went to anoint this guy, anoint this guy. Look at this, 1 Kings 19, 19, and then we're landed the plain. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of, I'm probably going to butcher this, Shaphat. He was plying with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And watch this. Notice this. Elijah went up to him and said, I will never do life alone again. And what did he do? He threw his cloak upon Elisha. And he did what I want to encourage every single one of you to do today. And that is number five, write this down. And that is to step into relational strength. Why? Because you and I were not designed to do life alone. We're not. If you're the only person 
that knows your secrets and what's happening in your mind, you're in trouble. Why? Because you're only as sick as your secrets. And that's why I'm begging you, please join a small group. Join a small group. We have over 20 opportunities for you right now in this semester for you not to do life alone, for you to get connected. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a life-giving friend who says, oh, you're dealing with that? Guess what? I'm dealing with that too. I'm dealing with that too. Why is all of this important? Well, it's important because the process of healing, according to God's word, the process is life-giving friends. I'm going to show it to you. James 5, 16. Therefore, I want you to confess your sins. I want you to confess your hurt, your pain, your problems, your emotions, your anxiety, your fear, your addictions, all the places that you are not trusting God in your life. I want you to confess those to who? To God? No. Time out. What are you saying, Rhett? Listen, God is the only one who can forgive sins. He's the only one. We go to God for forgiveness. But according to this verse in Scripture, where do we go for healing? Look at this. We go to each other. And we pray for each other. Why? So that you and I can be healed from the darkness that is depression, from whatever is being tormented in our mind. I love the next part. For the prayer of a righteous person, a prayer of a life-giving friend. It's powerful and it's effective. What's it saying? It's saying our prayers in small groups have the power to change things. Our prayers in small groups have the power to bring light and life and hope to some of the most darkest moments you and I will ever face. This is what it's saying. So if you're here today and you're dealing with darkness, if you feel like you're hopeless and you can't see a way out, I want you to know there is hope and his name is Jesus. I'm gonna close with this verse, Matthew 11, 28 through 29. These are the words of God. In fact, bow your head and close your eyes all across this room. Nobody looking around. I want you to hear this. These are the very words of Christ to you today. Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Are you depressed? Then come to me. I, I will refresh your life. For I am your oasis. I'm your source of life. Simply join me. And your life with mine. And you will find refreshment. You will find rest in me. These are the words of Jesus over your life today. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. If you're here today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today. But if you were honest. You're like man I'm battling with depression. I'm battling with just this torment in my mind. With anxiety and fear. And Pastor Red, I hear what you're saying, but I need to experience the presence of God. And if you were honest today, you're like, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. If that's you today, a moment of healing can happen right now through a simple prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer today. Some of you are in this room. You've committed your life to Christ, but you've walked away. Some of you have never done that. Hope is found in Jesus. If you'd like to come into a relationship with God today and experience the hope that is found through Christ and a relationship with God through his son. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. I would encourage you, everybody to say a simple prayer like this. Say, God, thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he died and he rose again to pay for my sin, to put me into a relationship with you. 
I give you my life. I give you everything because you gave me your all. I pray this. Say, God, help me. Help me to be still and know that you're God. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.